Hey, First Baptist Belton, my name is Sarah Clemens, and I have the privilege of serving as your communications director. Before we get started with the service today, we have a few things that we want to share with you. Did you know we have a digital e-bulletin? It's full of information all about upcoming events and ministry activities. So if you haven't subscribed, we invite you to text e-bulletin to 844-621-2226. Our summer mission trips for 2024 are all set. We will be sending out seven teams and they will be headed to Moldova, Puerto Rico, Taiwan, and Kenya. To get more information about serving on one of those trips, head by Mission Central today after the service. Lastly, we wanted to thank you for your generosity. As we have begun this year with our all-in, one-fund initiative, you have started strong and been faithful in your commitments. Giving our money, resources, and time to God is an act of worship. God has called us to a great mission at First Baptist Belton, and it's going to take each one of us being all-in. We're so glad you're here today. Let's get the service started. Good morning. We are so glad that you're here today. We want to begin our time of worship with a call to worship. And I want you to turn your attention to the screen. In Psalm 130, it says this. Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you have kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. And verse 5 says this. I wait for the Lord. I put, wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. And then an encouragement. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For there is faithful love with the Lord. And with him is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem Israel for all its iniquities. Church, would you join me as we begin our time of worship with a little moment of prayer. Would you bow your heads? And I want you to go before the Lord and prepare your heart as we come to worship him. The beginning of that scripture says, out of the depths I call to the Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Take a moment and call to the Lord. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. Take a moment and confess any sin, any struggles, any temptations that you have fallen into. And bring that before him to receive his forgiveness, to remember his grace and compassion towards you and his kindness, which is what leads us to repentance. I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Where is your hope? Have you placed your hope in your job security? Have you placed your hope in anything in this world? If you have, you will come to realize, if you haven't already, that it, it will fail you. Put your hope in his word. Declare that in your heart this morning. God, I want to put my hope in your word, the steady foundation, the truth, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we as a church want to put our hope 
in your word. And the psalmist encourages continually, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord. And with him, redemption in abundance. Thank God for redeeming your life. Thank him for forgiving you, for cleansing you, for giving you the beautiful gift of salvation. And ask him now to tune your heart to sing his praise, to remember his goodness and faithfulness towards you, towards our church, and for a thousand generations.
Amen. Thank you for worshiping, church. You can be seated as we continue in our time. My name is Josh Stewart. I'm the worship pastor here. And it is a privilege to have you come and worship at this church, First Baptist Belton, today. If today is your first time, we want to say a huge welcome to you. Inside your pew rack in front of you, there is a little connect card. If you'll grab that, scan that with your phone, you can fill out some information to let us know about who you are and how we can minister to you as a church. Uh, before the service began, you saw a few announcements, and uh, we want to encourage you to take a look at those. Our e-bulletin is also located on that connect card, which says pretty much everything. Uh, we have a wonderful opportunity this morning to invite our kids praise choirs to come up and lead us in a song. And so I want to do that at this time. Kids praise folks, could you guys come this way? And church family, could you encourage them and welcome them as they come up? Church, this is a beautiful scripture song based out of Joshua 1.9. I just want to read that scripture passage over us before we start. It says this, haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And this song encourages scripture memory. And it's a beautiful picture of the strength and the power of the, the courage of the Lord brings us. Hey, y'all come on in, kids. We got plenty of time for you. Y'all come on up here.
Good job, Kids Praise. Thank you for leading us. You guys can head back to your families. And church, you can stand together. Why don't you greet those around you and welcome folks to worship this morning. Church, as we uh, continue in our time of worship, uh, we're excited to um, teach you this new song. We heard it last week. Uh, it's called Bless God, and it just says some incredible truth. And uh, we want to share that chorus with you right now. So would you sing this together with us? Come on and praise the Lord with me. Sing if you love his name. together with us again. Come on and praise the learn this together. As you pick up on these verses and the choruses and the bridge here, sing along, lift this praise up to God. Blessed are those who around him, who place their hope and confidence in Jesus. He won't forsake them. Blessed are those who seek his face, who bends their knees gaze on Jesus, they won't be shaken. Come on and praise the Lord with me. Sing if you love his name. Come on and
my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree his body
Lord, you are worthy of all of our praise. We've said it to you in so many ways this morning. But Lord, we just want to say we have hearts of gratitude. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us, for forgiving us, and for giving us life, for giving us freedom. We love you. Lord, I pray as we turn our attention to the word of God, as it is preached, I pray that it would penetrate our hearts. Show us who we need to be more and more each day in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated.
All right, good morning. How are we? Awesome. Good to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We'll continue our series in 1 Corinthians as we dive into a messy church. You may recall that we're looking at how in the world does a messy people come together and become a healthy church? How do we thrive in the society in which we live? What is God's intent for the church? All of those things, we're addressing them as, as we walk through 1 Corinthians, one of the major things that, you know, we've talked about over the last several weeks is, you know, how do we be a church that is unified together around the gospel? We're together for the gospel, so to speak, in, you know, this church, but also for our community and all across the globe. And so that's what we're looking at. How do we unite together and be for the gospel together? So we're going to begin in chapter 3. We're going to Read verses 1 through 15. So if you have a Bible, meet me there. Verse 1 of chapter 3. We're going to dive right in. This is Paul writing. Here's what he says. He says, But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now... Even now you're not ready, Paul says, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Paul says, well, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants of whom you have believed and as the Lord has assigned to each. Paul says, I planted and Paulos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he, who's, he, he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace, that, grace of God that is given to me, like a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation someone else is building upon that foundation. Let each one then take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He answers that question. Why? Because he's the only true foundation that will last. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. Because each will be revealed. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So you may recall from last week, like a trial lawyer standing before a jury, Paul stands in front of the church of Corinth via his letter. And he begins to write to them and he, uh, quite frankly, condemns them in some ways, right? He calls them out for their stuff, but then also invites them into something. But Paul says that really there's two ways, there's two different types of wisdom. There's the wisdom of the world and then there's the wisdom of man. And that there's only one way to discern between the two and that's to have the spirit of God. And so Paul makes the claim that if you have the Spirit of God, then you're saved. And if you're saved, you have the Spirit of God. And if you have the Spirit of God, then you can discern the heart of God. But if you don't have the Spirit of God, then 
then, then you're not saved. You don't know him. And if you don't know him, then you don't have the spirit. And if you don't have the spirit, then you do not have a way to discern what is truth from error. You do not have the ability to discern what is the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. However, if you do have the spirit, I want you to think about this. The spirit is the conduit from God's heart to your heart. It's pretty wild. The heart of God transmitting his very own heart into your heart, awakening faith, you know, helping you to see what is true and what is false, leading you into truth. And then not only that, but then enabling you to abide by that truth. I mean, that is pretty incredible. Well, Paul says to the Corinthians, you have that spirit. You have, you are saved. Paul doesn't question their salvation. As, as we walk through this book, there's going to be moments where you think, how in the world do these people know God? And yet Paul never questions their salvation. He doesn't do it here and he's not going to do it later on in the chapters that we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks. But Paul says, listen, you have all that you could possibly want. And yet look what he says in verse 1. He says, you have everything you could possibly want, and yet you are still living by the flesh. He says, I could not address you as spiritual people. I had to address you as people of the flesh. And he says, just like infants in Christ. Paul says, you have everything. You have the Spirit of God living within you, and yet you have, you have neglected the Spirit, and you were living as though you don't have the Spirit. What Paul is saying here is that you're Christians who are living like the world. You're, super, you're spiritual people, but you're living like natural people. So much so that Paul paints this picture of being an infant in Christ. You're living according to your flesh. Now to live according to your flesh is to gratify the passions and the desires of your earthly nature. Rather than living for God, the people in Corinth were living for themselves, seeking joy in material things of this world. And so rather than being adults in the faith, they are infants. Now I kind of get this, maybe you can relate to this, but I kind of get this funny picture of my, in my head of what it means to be a, an adult but living like an infant. I picture a grown adult sitting in a high chair just spoonfuling that sweet potato Gerber's baby food, right? And, and if, if you've ever had that stuff, it's not great. And yet here they are, they're spoon filling themselves with, with Gerber's baby food. And Paul says, what are you doing? Why on earth would you be satisfied with being an infant in Christ when you have everything that you possibly need to be an adult, to grow up into maturity. And so we have this picture in our head and we think, how ridiculous is it that you have a grown adult sitting in a baby chair and yet so many Christians are content with that. So Paul's saying to the church in Corinth that you are content with being a grown adult sitting in a baby chair, eating baby food. What an indictment on the church at Corinth. You've got everything you need, and yet you've got this delicious steak sitting right in front of you. And yet this is what you're satisfied with. 
you know, you may not know this or not, but there is a condition called infantilism. It's where a grown adult chooses to live like an infant. It's a disability. The state calls that a disability. I think if you and I were having an honest conversation, we'd say there's probably something wrong with that person. That they would choose to to do that. And again, yet we fill rooms on Sunday mornings with people who call themselves Christians, but quite frankly are doing the same thing. And are good with it. So Paul, his indictment certainly is an indictment to say, hey, if, if you have the spirit in you, don't quench the spirit, but, but follow the spirit and allow the spirit to grow you up into maturity. Don't be content with living the passions of your flesh by living as an infant in Christ. The Christians in Corinth, they're living for their insatiable desire to satisfy their own appetites, their jealousy of one another, their inability to love and to respect one another as the family in Christ, and their praising man over God is revealing that while they have a seat at the adult table, they are satisfied with living at the kiddie table. And you know that. Even as a, even as a kid, you don't want to be at the kiddie table. And yet they're satisfied with being at the kiddie table. You know, the way to maturity, I think if Paul were sitting in this room and we were to talk to Paul and say, Paul, what, well, what then does it look like to get onto the path of maturity? If, if that's the case and I'm sitting in the room and maybe I'm, maybe if you were honest, your behavior would reveal that you're an infant in Christ, that you're a baby. Maybe you're a toddler. Maybe you're, a, maybe you're an adolescent, but you're certainly not growing into maturity. Maybe if we were having an honest conversation, sitting around a table, drinking coffee and talking, I think what Paul might say is, then it's time for you to take responsibility and ownership for your faith. Because nobody else is going to do it for you. Nobody else can come to your house at 5.30, 6 a.m. and say, okay, now it's time for you to get up and be in the Word. Nobody's going to come and hold your hand as you walk you through, hey, let's go and let's, let's pray to the Lord. You have to take ownership and you have to take responsibility for your faith. If you're going to grow into maturity, if you're going to grow to become a mature Christian adult, then you're going to have to take responsibility and ownership for your faith. So let me just ask you before I move on, I want to ask you a question. I think it's important. What does your behavior, Paul says that they're living according to the flesh, Flesh meaning that they are satisfying their earthly appetites. Pursuing material things over godly things. Thinking that's going to satisfy them. What would your behavior reveal about your maturity or your lack thereof in the faith? Would you be at the adult table or would you be at the kiddie table? It's a great question for us to ask. Now as we continue, I want you to see that as we get on the path of maturity, I want you to see the source of maturity. I don't know if you're like me, but I can trace the long line of people who have invested in me spiritually throughout my life. You know, there's people who 
shared the gospel with me early on as a kid. I came to faith at seven, walked the aisle, did all the things. Then there was people from that point on. I had Sunday school teachers. Man, I had pastors. I had friends. I had mom and dad who were constantly putting gospel in front of me, putting the word in front of me, putting prayer in front of me, all of those things. I can trace the long line of people who have blessed me. Even today, I can, I can tell you about a long list of, of people, pastors, authors, books that I've read, people that I would consider mentors in the faith that have poured into me and helped me grown up into maturity and that have blessed me in my walk with the Lord. Maybe you can think of the same. But I think what Paul would have us to believe is that while all of these people have been a blessing to our spiritual growth, Paul's argument here is that spiritual maturity does not come from our pastors, teachers, life group leaders, Sunday school teachers, or friends, but rather our spiritual growth comes from God working through those people. So as important as those people are, my growth is not contingent upon them but rather on God who is working in and through them. They are a vessel, a broken vessel, a weak vessel that God uses via the favor and the spirit of the Lord to work through them and to bless me, to encourage me, to grow me up. And in the same way, that is true for you. That's why Paul asked the following rhetorical question. He says, well, then what is, what is Apollos? Who's Apollos? Why does it even matter? What is Paul? He answers his own questions. He says that they are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. It's God who does the action there. He continues, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So it's neither he who plants nor he who waters that is anything, but only God who gives the growth. There are people in your life. I can think of one in particular, a guy named Jerry Stout. Jerry Stout had the world's greatest fifth grade Sunday school class. And I loved Jerry. I loved him and his wife, Patty. You know, there's been many days where I thought, man, I want to go back to Jerry and I want him to know, I want he and Patty to know that I am where I am today because of their faithfulness in that world's greatest fifth grade Sunday school class. And while Jerry and Patty are a major impact in my life, made a major impact in my life, my faith doesn't rest on them, nor does my maturity, but rather it works through them to grow me up into the image of Jesus. That's why Paul is blown away at the fact that how can you worship a man? How can you guys be fighting amongst who did this and who did that? Because it doesn't matter. We are all just servants of God working for him. And he is working through us to bless you, to encourage you, to raise you up into the image of Christ. Now Paul uses farming as an illustration for how ministry and maturity happen. God calls people to work in ministry, it's including the task of preparing sermons, Sunday school lessons, writing books, recording podcasts, publishing book, blogs and books, all these things we could continue on and on and on, all for the purpose of planting and watering seeds of faith. Again, this is an important and it's a noble task, but what Paul is saying here is that while this is a significant calling, apart from God, all labor is in vain. That's really unfortunate when somebody says, hey, you're called to the ministry. Because nothing that I do matters apart from God. 
That's, what the, that's what the reason why the psalmist said in Psalm 127.1, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, the worker plots in vain. <laughs> you know how incredibly frustrating that is? You can't measure spiritual growth. Like how am I going to measure spiritual growth? We can't sit in a meeting and go, man, we know they're growing when. You know how hard that is? So, I mean, there's, there's no way to measure spiritual growth. That's why metrics for church success have, have been completely messed up. It's because you can't, you can't measure it. Apart from God, there's nothing that we can do to manufacture it. Right, just like I said a minute ago, like I can't come to your house and be like, okay, it's time to get up. You hear your alarm clock? Wake up. Like, I can't be a drill sergeant in your life as much as I wish I could. I can't say, hey, here's the Bible. I want you to read this today. Here you go. I've, I've got it ready for you. Your coffee's already made. Man, it's going to be great. I've got breakfast going. Just get in the Word. Like, you, you, like, that's the hardest part about ministry. You can't manufacture it. Like, I, I can't force you to go on a mission trip. I can't force you to show up on Sunday eager to hear from the Lord. I can't force you to fellowship. I can't force you to be vulnerable and, and be accountable to the community that God's placed you. I can't force you to go to a Sunday school class. And so, quite frankly, my success as a pastor rests on God working in you. I have zero control. And sure, we can play great music, man, we can adopt the best marketing strategies and we can do all this stuff to fill a room. But at the end of the day, none of that matters apart from the Holy Spirit at work in you. Through me, through our elders, through our staff, through our amazing Sunday school teachers, through the people who are doing the work of ministry. Try that for a job description. Ready to sign up? It's incredibly frustrating, and yet, at the same time, it's incredibly uh, humbling. And it's, there's so much joy in it, because at the end of the day, my success rests on my vertical relationship with the Lord. I do what He calls me to do, and He promises to do the work of ministry. It's an incredible, beautiful promise that the creator of the universe has called us, has called men and women to do ministry and yet it's not up to us. It's up to him. And so we can rest and we can trust in the fact that he's at work. So every Sunday I get up, I know that at least one of you, at least one of you is not thinking about the Cowboys getting beat on Sunday. Somebody, God is working in somebody. And I can trust that. And I can find great peace. In your Sunday school classes, Sunday school teachers, listen to me. There's somebody who is eager God is working in their hearts. You may not see it today. You may not see it tomorrow. You may not be able to measure it. But I can promise you that God is at work as you faithfully teach his word. He promises in Isaiah 55, 11 that his, his word will, it will not return void. It's not what I don't think it's going to return void. He's saying, no, no, it's not going to return void because I'm in control of it. You're not. So even when you don't do it perfectly, even when you don't have great oratory skills, even when you're not the greatest public speaker, Paul says that, that, that that's okay. I came to you in fear and weakness and trembling, not with great words of wisdom or lofty speech or great rhetorical skills so that their faith might rest not in the wisdom of man but in the power of God. 
God is using you. God is using you. Speaking of that, Paul gives a responsibility for teachers. On many occasions, the opportunity to teach and to lead people is a blessing to others from God, right? Comes with great responsibility. To illustrate this picture, Paul uses the image of a building. Like any sturdy building, it begins with a foundation, right? In our house in Fort Worth, you know, little did we know, we didn't know anything about houses. You know, I like to think we had the wisdom of God at that point, but I don't think he was, he certainly wasn't leading, he wasn't real loud in my, my ears at the time when I bought this house because our, our, our foundation was terrible. I had no idea that when I walked into the house that, you know, all these cracks up the walls, it was like a sign to say, do not buy this house. It's going to be the source of your anxiety and your fear for the next several years. No idea of all that. I'm a new, we're young married, wanting to take on the world, thinking that everything's great. But I'll tell you, your foundation matters. And what you build upon that foundation also matters. If your foundation is shaky, the sturdy or the, the structure is going to be shaky. That's the reason why the gospel is not only just a foundation, but it's the foundation we have to keep going back to because you never leave the foundation. There's so many Christians who think, checkbox, I'm saved, I'm good. And what Paul is saying is, no, 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 no. You can check that box and you can be a Christian and you can be saved and never actually move on to maturity because the gospel is the foundation. But then there's the invitation to maturity. Right? And so he says, teachers, take care of what you're building upon that foundation. The foundation, of course, being Christ, the gospel. And then from there, Christians have the responsibility of positioning themselves to receive from the Lord through their teachers. And the teachers then have the responsibility to build on that foundation. We're going to talk about that in a minute here in just a second. So there's really two application points here, right? So you've received the gospel, you've come to know Jesus, you have the foundation. Now you have the responsibility to take ownership for that growth, for what's built upon that foundation. And in the same way, teachers, you and I have the responsibility to build faithfully upon that foundation. The calling on our life is to be faithful, to teach the word, to shape people. And as we teach the scriptures well, we teach the scriptures because in them we help shape and form our people into mature Christians that can walk through the difficulties of the world. And man, I want you to think about the weight of all of this, right? So there's the pressure of life and the fact that the people in this room are real people. Like y'all aren't fake people. There's heartache in this room. There's brokenness in this room. There's... Somebody in this room who's living, on, living the best life they've ever lived in this room. There's young people in this room. There's older people in this room. There's everything in this room. And, and everybody is walking through something. And so let me ask you, like, that being the case, what keeps your cells going? What keeps the structure from blowing over? It's the scriptures. That's the reason why the word of God is so important. We sang about it a minute ago. We preach and we teach and we read the scriptures not because we're supposed to, but because in them are life. And it's building a 
a structure for your life so that you can withstand the incredible difficulties that this world throws at you. It's not because we just do it. It's because in them has the power to get you through life's hardest difficulties. That's why we, we do that. This is, it's a great task that Paul has called us to. But then also, too, Paul, call, Paul refers to a day of judgment for teachers. So that Paul even says that there's a day coming where we're going to be judged for our work. And on that day, our work will be judged. Did we build with gold, silver, and precious stones? Or did we build with wood, hay, or straw? Right? When, we put through the, when we're put through the fire, the former will be purified and will survive, whereas the wood, the hay, or the straw will be burned up. The point here is that our motivations for teaching matter. So if you're a teacher in this room, what you're building on that foundation matters. And the thing behind what you're teaching also matters. That there's going to be a day come that I'm going to stand before God and everything that I did to glorify myself will be burned up. Everything that I did for the praise of man will be burned up. Everything I did for out of fear of rejection will be burned up. Everything I did for approval, man's approval will be burned up. Whereas every time I got up in the power of the Spirit for the benefit of those that God has called me to shepherd for his glory, that's going to last for all of eternity. In fact, the motives of our heart for teaching, the motives of our heart, (laughs) this is crazy to me, have the power to lead people into maturity for all of eternity. Like, right, if I'm getting up here because I want to impress you, who gets the glory there? If, if I get up here because I need your approval, who gets the glory? But if I get up here confident in the fact that I stand in the righteousness of Christ, and I stand in the secure place and the calling that God has placed on my life, I'm not doing it for your approval. I'm not doing it to impress you. I'm doing it for your maturity. That's what Paul's mission statement, Colossians chapter 1, 28, he says that I do all things to, to grow you up into the maturity of Christ. Not for me. Who am I? I don't matter. I'm simply a servant that's calling you to, to maturity. Now here's something that's really cool because I think, I think this is really neat. In verse 15, Paul says that if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So yes, there is this sense that I'm going to stand in the judgment seat and the Lord is going to take a look at my life. He's going to take a look at your life, teachers, and he's going to look at what uh, you did for him and what you did for yourself, what you did in the power of the Spirit and what you did in your own power. But hear this, because this is really cool. We do it from a place of security. This is pretty neat. We teach and we preach from a place of security because at the end of the day, we are just people. And sometimes we fail. Sometimes we don't get it all right. Sometimes we get up from a place of selfishness or fear or arrogance or whatever. These things are going to happen. But God's grace to us does not give us a license to forfeit our own maturity and responsibility to work hard to get it right. 
So there's this sense where, yes, I'm going to have to stand before the judgment, but because I am his, I don't have to fear him rejecting me. But rather, the thing that's going to last are going to be the things that he did in and through me, not in the things that I did in and through myself. Now, that's kind of the application for teachers. Now, I want to talk to the rest of you folks because y'all... Y'all, y'all matter here too. I, I think there's a level here that Paul, I think he's talking to teachers, but I also think he's talking to, to the general public of the Christians in, in Corinth. And, and, and so I think it's important that you hear me say that not only is there a great responsibility for teachers, but there's also a great responsibility for you. Like there's gonna, there has to be a day where you make the decision that your faith is not mom and dad's faith. That your faith does not rest on the pastor or the church or the title that you have in the church. That you too, just like teachers have to take responsibility for their task to teach the scriptures, you too have a responsibility to make the decision to sit underneath the word of God and to allow the word of God to take root and to begin building a structure on your foundation that you have, maybe when you were seven, maybe when you were 21, maybe that you have yet to, that decision that you've yet to make. But you have a responsibility to grow up into maturity. Paul says it is not acceptable. It's not acceptable for you to be a grown adult in the faith and yet to live like an infant in the faith. And hear me, that's not always on the teacher. Just like a losing football team is not always on the coach. At a certain point, players have to play. At a certain point, Christians have to make the choice to live as Christians. And to live like a Christian is to not live an entire life of, of baby or young adolescent Christianity. If we're honest, the reason why the church has struggled for years is because Christians have refused to grow up into the faith. They've been satisfied, just like the adults sitting in that high chair, just spoon fooling themselves with baby food. And, and that's got to end. If we're going to be a healthy church, we as a church have to say, you know what? We're going to grow into maturity. We're we're not going to be satisfied with this, but rather we're going to eat the steak of Christianity, and that means we've got to get serious about our faith. Listen, if you want to withstand the difficulty of the world, if you want to be a credible witness in the world, if there's ever a time, it's now, then you've got to grow up into the faith. As a church, we've got to grow up into the faith. To be a healthy, thriving church. Now, remember, I want, that's the way I want to end it. A healthy church doesn't mean that everyone is perfect. Maturity does not always mean perfection. I'm talking about progress, not perfection. It's a very important thing. I think oftentimes we think of maturity and we think perfect. That's not what we're talking about here. I am not saying that you need to be perfect or that you need to act like you are perfect. It's another thing that's plagued to the church. You, you, can't, you can't grow unless you recognize where we currently are, where you currently are, right? So 
Maturity does not mean perfection. We are all fallen people. On this side of glory, we are far from perfect. I don't think Paul's calling us to be a perfect church. I think he's calling us to be a mature church. A church that is maturing, that is growing, that has an ongoing heart and love for the Lord and wants that to continue to grow. Paul says, not that I've arrived, but I strain forward to the goal. Not looking behind me, but looking forward to the goal, to the upward call of Christ Jesus. That's maturity, right? I'm not looking, I'm not looking at my failures. I'm not looking at my past. I'm, I'm looking forward. Saying enough is enough. Today's the day. I'm going to start today and I'm going to move toward the upward calling of Christ Jesus. I'm going to move toward maturity. I'm not going to be satisfied with being an infant or an adolescent in Christ. I think Paul is calling us to a, a bigger view of the church that's not so easily divided over things that we think really matter but eternally have very little significance. I think Paul is calling us to be a church where we can agree to disagree and still walk away and be friends. Paul's calling us to be able to lay down some of the things that, that quite frankly, are just petty. For the sake of the gospel, for us to come together, for the sake of people in our community who do not know Jesus, for the sake of people in our church who need to be discipled and to be, need to be poured into, and, and all of those things, to lay those aside for the things that really matter for all of eternity. I think that's what Paul's calling us to. I think that's what a healthy church looks like. To grow up both individually and collectively. And nobody can do it for you. You have to make that decision to do it for yourself. And so I'm going to challenge our teachers to continue to grow. They've got to grow into maturity. They've got to be good stewards of the word. But yet you have to be faithful to sit under the authority. To, feed, to learn to feed yourself. And then also... Live like it because you have the Spirit. That's what Paul said last week. You have the Spirit who awakens faith, convicts of sin and righteousness, who leads you into all truth and then enables you to live by that truth. You have that Spirit who can guide you and lead you into maturity. Let me pray. Father, I want us to be a healthy church that means I want us to be a mature church because I believe that's what you would want. I believe that you want us to be a healthy, mature church. Lord, not a perfect church, but a healthy church, a maturing church that's being molded into the image of Jesus every single day that as we behold the glory of God, you would transform us from one degree of glory to the next. God, I pray that as we receive a blessing from the people who lead us, I pray that we would not worship them. I pray that we would not celebrate them. I pray that we would honor them and we would respect them, but that we would not put them on your throne, but we would recognize them for who they are. They are servants of you, of your kingdom. And Lord, at the end of the day, you give the growth, not the people in our lives. Can't hang our hat on them. But Lord, we have to take the responsibility and ownership for our own lives and for our own spiritual growth. Lord, may nobody in this room be an infant in Christ, but may we all grow into maturity. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.
Jesus, you alone. I've searched the world for a love that could fill my heart, but nothing compares to the wonder of who you
my voice and sing worthy. I bow my life to exalt thee, Jesus, you alone. Jesus, you Hey, thanks for worshiping with us this morning. It was a blessing to get to, to be with you and to see your faces and all of those things. If you have never given your heart to Jesus, you've never answered that call, maybe the Spirit is working on you right now, uh, like we talked about last week, and is leading you to say yes to Him with your life, I would love to walk you through how, what that might look like for you and how you can get on the path towards maturity. If maybe you're sitting here and you're feeling the weight of, man, I, I have... I've never said, you know what, today's the day where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intentionally grow in my faith and grow in my walk with Jesus. Uh, I'd love to talk with you about how you can do that as well. Our Connections team out front, they, they would love to walk you through how you can begin that journey today. Um, and you can, you can connect with us, you can grow with us, you can learn how to serve with us, all of the things that Jesus wants for you. Um, and so I would encourage you to do that. Um, but again, I guess just maybe my challenge this week is to say, hey, don't let another week go by. Don't let another day go by where you're content where you're at, right? Let's pursue the Lord and let's ask Him to do big things in our lives, both individually and collectively. And let's ask Him to grow us into the image of Christ, which is what I believe God's desire is for you and for me. And as we do that as a church, man, we become a credible witness to the community of what the kingdom of God is all about. It's amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you again for worshiping with us. It's great to see you. I pray God's blessings over you. I hope you have a great week. Take care. God bless.